it didn't used to do the like where it actually told you on the audio it would like just blink red but it didn't used to do the like audio thing so that's cool i like that they have updated yeah i'm here for it okay so um we're doing our podcast uh pigments of our imagination which is i don't know do you want to start kiki describing what pigments of our imagination what our our vision is for this podcast i mean what isn't our vision for this podcast? <laughs> I know, which is ironic because we're blind. <laughs> yeah, so maybe like, <laughs> um, I, I, I think it's just going to be a kind of discussion and analysis of the world through our, the, our two lenses of mm-hmm. people who have albinism, which is gives you a particular experience <laughs> of living. Absolutely. And where that goes, who knows but I think that I think I would say that's our jumping off point do you feel similarly yeah yeah I I think I feel the same I think it's going to be a good it's a it's a platform for us and a vehicle for us to kind of like talk through our experience of the world experience of just like what we're living in in this weird surreal post-apocalyptic scenario (laughs) that is uh, the present moment as you know two disabled queer folks just trying to survive and grow and love and Mm -hmm. you know figure shit out and work on Mm -hmm. ourselves and each other and the world yeah um so do you do you want to start by introducing yourself or you want me to start I think, why don't you start? And then I'll go after you. Cool. Uh, So I'm Stacia. Um, It's funny how we were just like talking about like, how do we introduce ourselves? Because (laughs) there's this weird, you know, meta thing I think that happens in the social media age where we're all, we're taught through the social media platforms that like you're always you always need to be thinking about your personal brand you know (laughs) um and as like two disabled queer folks like trying to dismantle um identifying with like what the market wants to describe you as it gets challenging to describe who you are but aside from all of that (laughs) um you know i i've been trying to like empower myself through descriptors of things that feel good that I do. So um, I'm Stacia and, you know, I am a Black queer person with albinism. Um, I consider myself a a spiritual healer and worker as well as a cultural healer and worker. Um, I'm a artisan and peasant craftsperson and artist. I love to grow things and make uh, herbal medicines. Uh, I am a poet. Uh, I am a a sibling um, and a a friend. And I don't know, a dweeb (laughs) a lot of the times and a clown. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I guess that that's who I am in the present moment. Well, and I would say that, you know, these things are also subject to change, you know, they might not be the same from week to week. So we're, we are, we get to be uh, fluid changing beings (laughs) at any time. Thank you for saying that. I just wanted to like chime in and say, I really appreciate that you just said that because I feel like we can really get lost in the identity politics of like, Mm -hmm. this is who I am. But like, if we're leaning into the concept of fluidity, you know, I think it's important to remind ourselves that like, we can always change. So we don't have to ever feel fixed in anything that we said once or whatever. Yeah, we're not trapped. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So let's see, I am Kiki. Uh, That's how I'm known to the world. Uh, I am a white, queer, non-binary person. Um, I am trying recently to identify myself as a cultural worker and cultural healer. I have a background in performance studies, so that uh, lends itself to a lot of things, including being really interested in media and consuming and analyzing media. 
I am an aspiring dog parent, um, aspiring plant person. I really want to be a plant queer. Um, I'm trying. Uh, I I'm a musician. I'm just gonna own yeah, it. Yeah, you are a musician. Don't <laughs> say that bashfully or like you're like timid to say it. You're a fucking musician in your own right. Um, and and I would say, and I'm a poet, and I uh, I'm a singer. Well, that goes with musician, but um, and uh, yeah, that's I guess that's that's plenty for now. <laughs> Enough. I love how I also forgot all the things that I said to you in our like our like prep conversations. I was like a dog parrot, a whatever. Not, it doesn't matter. I, I guess it does in the context. I remembered because I was like, "Ooh, dog parent. I want to be a dog parent." <laughs> dog wrangler is what it feels like. Yeah, like, yeah. A <laughs> lot, of, a lot of days. Um, so yeah, that's who we are. We're just like uh, two Everyone. queer bees non-binary queer beast trying to figure shit out like, and we love to talk to each other so we do love to talk to each other um yeah which is why i think this is an excellent platform for us to like create something together um and so yeah we thought like maybe for the first um session together that we could just sort of like talk about disability justice um, and our experience of like being disabled people in relationship uh, with others um, and just like kind of talk through our like struggles with that as well as like our visions for empowerment um, and yeah I just think that that's, that's you I went on Wikipedia. I, I was like, should I do that thing where I read like the definition of albinism so that folks know? <laughs> I don't really have the whole, well, because, and I thought I, I would point out that uh, my, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this as we talk more about things, but my my knowledge of albinism is in, from a medical perspective, especially is very limited. Same um, yeah, in which I'm not, you know, I'm not placing a judgment on that, but I'm just, uh, but I thought it would be fun to try to, I've, <laughs> I just went on Wikipedia. I only got some of it. I was like, I, I can't, this is, cause you know, it's Wikipedia, but um, so, okay. So according to Wikipedia, albinism is a congenital disorder characterized in humans by the complete or partial absence of pigment in the skin, hair, and eyes. Albinism is associated with a number of vision defects, such as photophobia, nystagmus, and amblyopia. I've never said that word in my life. Lack of, skin <laughs> Lack of skin pigmentation makes for more susceptibility to sunburn and skin cancers. In rare cases, such as, then there was this whole other thing that I never, we can talk about this later. There was this whole other thing that I never heard of that I was like, wait, what? Anyway, um... Uh, there are two principal types of albinism, oculocutaneous affecting the eyes, skin and hair, and ocular affecting the eyes only. And then there's, there's like, I think that's a good basic definition. There's more, uh, you know, detail. detail than that. But I feel like that that's a relatively, uh, you know, decent sum up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad that you brought that up because like, it always feels weird to describe a thing about yourself that's just like a lived experience you know like in the same way if somebody's like so what does it mean to like be a black person and you're like mm, uh, uh, you know like yeah yeah like people visually like know the markers of of a person who has albinism generally uh because we're pale and we don't have pigment sure. yeah. um, and the eye wiggles you know yeah. or just nystagmus is usually a, a, a physical characteristic but like you know like I definitely felt insecure I mean even still do of like thinking of trying to like define albinism because you know it's my lived experience yeah. and on the one hand there's this idea that like well you should like be educating yourself about this like medicalized way of like knowing about your condition or whatever which is like I guess but also it's just like th 
this is my lived experience. So like, you know, if I choose to do that to empower myself, cool. But also if I don't, doesn't make a difference. I mean, it's like, and none of us are monoliths, right? So like, I think it's fine. I think if some people, if that's your bag, if like you want to know all the scientific you know, nuance and, and details. And that's how, that's how you relate to your experience of albinism. I am here for that. That's great. Mm-hmm. I just don't think we all, that that's a do that. like way of relating to albinism. Like if you don't have that knowledge, it doesn't mean like you don't know about your life mm-hmm. <laughs> like who, or who you are, you know? Um, so. I wonder how many people, like when I go into a new relationship with someone or if I get a new job or something I wonder like how much time folks like spend uh, like looking up al- <laughs> uh, like albinism and like trying yeah. to like figure it out because there's this weird thing where I feel like when we were kids you know people would ask about it directly but like yeah. <laughs> as you get older people feel I think that it's like socially unacceptable to like talk about it which yeah. I mean you know, is, I guess, fine. Um, and some people feel more or less comfortable talking about their albinism. Yeah. Um, but like, I think I'm like discovering as I'm like engaging more uh, like directly with my own disability that like, I think I've gotten used to like, not masking my albinism uh, at this point, but like masking the disability aspect of albinism. Yeah, totally. And so, like, hopefully, you know, I'm sure we'll get into that in the conversation, but, like, yeah, it's this weird thing of, like, not knowing how to describe, like, albinism, because I, like, now I, that I'm unearthing how much ableism I've internalized, I'm, like, I want to be more explicit in my life and in my relationships about, like, how disability and mental illness that's, like, entangled with being a person with albinism like I want to be more transparent with myself and with others about that but I also don't want to be just like defined as like I'm the albino you know and like people will do that regardless that's not my business but I I don't want to identify myself in like in this little box so that's kind of you know the challenge I guess yeah yeah I, I mean yeah that is definitely something to that's like an ongoing balance I think of like wanting wanting to identify with this part of yourself but also not wanting to be over identified with it it's like it's that thing maybe where you have to like figure it out and then also kind of put it aside (laughs) you know that reminds me too there's this weird thing that happens where I almost sometimes feel uh, like my albinism is erased because like So there's this thing that happens where like I feel in probably because racially I'm like very uh, multiracial. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I identify as black, both of my parents are like, you know, uh, African diaspora people, but also like my dad's mom is half Choctaw and like there's a lot of sort of uh, indigenous American like uh, ethnicity in me. So like, you know, I look very, I, I think ethnically ambiguous. A lot of black people identify that I'm black, but like, there's a weird thing that happens when I'm around, I'll say, especially like uh, white people with albinism, because, yeah. you know, like having like white hair and like lighter features is more, I don't want to say more distinctive, but it's like more noticeable. Like I've been, to give a, a more concrete example of what I'm talking about is like, when I was in elementary school, there was one, there was a, a girl who was like two grades below me who had albinism and came to my school. And so they tried to like put us together so that I could like be her mentor or whatever. And I really resented this because I was a prideful child that was like really disgruntled about like being singled out in any kind of way. Yeah. Um, and, but like the funny thing is that like people would, ide- when we were in public together, people would identify her as having albinism, but not me. And so this weird thing happened where I'd be kind of like, wait a minute, like, (laughs) hey, (laughs) yeah, it was like this weird thing. Um, So anyways, I don't know. It's like, I always feel like on the margins of everything, which I'm like, am I, do I have some kind of weird, like, 
complex about feeling like super marginalized uh or like is this a thing that happens it's i I mean i don't know which one it is there's a lot of different kinds of marginalization converging there for sure and i mean my my experience of albinism is certainly informed by my whiteness by for you know in in multiple ways um which i'm still figuring out and i i have had i've had people be confused by trying to figure me out in a, racially before but like mm-hmm. in that it's it's i'm sure you know a different kind They're of like i yeah because <laughs> you're it's, pale so people like, let's what? just say people have said really strange things to me re- regarding like regarding race they have asked me strange questions and had kind of interesting criteria for how they were going to decide what race I am. Yeah, I think that's that's the kind of fun part I feel about albinism (laughs) is like, it's like the most direct thing that demonstrates that race is a fucking construction. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, and it's, you know, of course, like I have to make sure that I'm navigating my white privilege in sure. that that because it's sure, you know matrix. it's a murky scenario and i'm sure you know that's something that i'm gonna always have to work on but it's it is it is interesting uh it is an interesting i feel like having albinism has affected the way i've experienced race throughout my life um okay. but what in what ways that again I'm gonna say it over and over I'm still figuring it out (laughs) yeah I mean I think that like this is I'm glad that you said you're still figuring it out because like we all are (laughs) and a thing that really annoys me is I feel like because you and I were just talking about our challenges with being in certain kinds of disability uh communities and like how privilege, power, and class, like, shows up in those spaces as well, Um, and I think just, like, a thing that happens in general in the postmodern reality is, like, do social justice work has also been commodified, like, fucking everything else, right, and, like, stage capitalism, and so people don't even realize that they're doing it, I think, but what people will do is they will play, like, cultural capital games, where they will set the tone of like what is the most social social justice social justice oriented like radical whatever which mm-hmm. is just like an, a language that's putting power and privilege yeah. in like are you on this like like vanguard of I mean it's gatekeeping yeah it's gatekeeping it's gatekeeping yeah. yeah and um like culturally and so yeah. That's something that I think we're going to really try and like process through in, yeah. um, in this podcast and that I'm really excited about to talk with you about because I think we're definitely on the same page of working through this and from coming from like, you know, like, uh, you know, different ethnic perspectives is cool yeah. to talk through yeah. together with vulnerability. I'm like stoked about and it. And I'm, I'm excited to make mistakes with you, you know, like I'm excited yeah. to like make mistakes and, and like I... I'm I'm really into having uh, uncomfortable conversations with people these days, just because I I've discovered that if you you know if you don't have them, it, it you're gonna have them eventually, you know. And it's it's like it's unless nice. you're faking the funk, you you should True. have uncomfortable because yes. a lot of people don't, and it's because they're just like they are having surface level relationships and interactions where they're like trying really hard not to have, uh, avoiding uncomfortable scenarios and conversations. But I forget who said it, maybe it was Adrian Marie Brown or I don't know, somebody was talking about how like, it is a radical act of love to like have uncomfortable conversations and to like speak from a, a place of as much presence as tr- and truth as you can even when it's uncomfortable because yeah. like cutting through the bullshit does take emotional labor um yes. and I as much as we can like I don't know reframe that as a loving act even when it's uncomfortable I think the better we all will be for it yeah <laughs> um oh were you gonna say something nope <laughs> 
I'm just I'm just looking at at the notes on my phone. Okay. Um. So I just wondered if you want to sort of talk about like I don't know where we both are at in terms of like doing our own work on like disability justice and ableism and how we both just started uh like engaging with the text care work um i don't know i thought that would be a, a good place to start the conversation about relationships and then we can kind of sure. transition into that um well okay i'm gonna try not to go backwards too far but i guess i i first learned that disability studies was even a thing uh in college i had a professor who was like this is a field of study now and i was like woo um and then uh that disability like disability studies was part of my graduate work um, that's so dope i was just gonna <laughs> say so did you embrace the concept of that like because it's definitely something i'm newly embracing. i mean yeah i was very when i, I it was when i first i think the first uh, disability studies author I encountered was Rosemary Garland Thompson. She wrote Extraordinary Bodies. Um, and she came to speak at, at my school actually. And that was, it was, I mean, I haven't revisited that work, so I don't know how well it holds up, you know, but um, at the time it was very, just the idea that someone was writing critically about the experience of disability in this way Mm -hmm. uh was was very empowering to me and and i did i did embrace it despite a lot of still a lot of internalized ableism i mean because then yeah i carried it into grad school or i tried i tried sure. I tried very hard to carry disability studies into grad school um and have remained interested in it in terms of the reading i am uh you know i am not in any way familiar with whatever is the sort of canon of work that people are referencing these days in the field. But I'm, uh, I've been trying to engage with it in ways that are less academic. And I think that that's valuable too. But Care Work is a book um, that I think, I think I just heard of it. It was brought up somewhere, but then I remember that a disabled bud of mine uh, had posted it just a picture of themselves one day like like laying in bed like cradling it to their chest and I was Aww. like and yeah and they like they were like seemed I could really feel that they were like getting comfort from whatever experience they were having with that book and uh there's I respect their opinion a lot so I was like oh let me get this and I uh started to read it and was started crying and was like okay well <laughs> this is probably so uh but then i i um then i disengaged with it because i think it was too intense i, I actually and mm -hmm. the, just things that were going on in my life i wasn't ready to i didn't have the processing power to engage with that work so i kind of left it aside and then picked it back up uh during uh quarantine um and then have continued and and trying to continue to work my way through it now and i love I just want to say I really appreciate you bringing it up uh, because I don't know it's like the perfect timing for me to be engaging it and like in some ways I feel this level of shame about being like it is taking me 32 years to start to engage with like my own internalized ableism and my disability like more directly but then I keep trying to remember like what like I shouldn't have shame about this because I it has been ingrained in me through primarily I mean culture of course yes but also in the way I was raised um, I think and it's no sh shade to my parents because they did the best that they could and I'm grateful for them and they made me the way that they groomed me in many ways made me a very independent person but I think um, my parents' ethic was like, we're gonna tell Stacia, like, they are, you know, the same as everyone else. They can do everything uh, that anyone can do. And, mm -hmm. you know, they should feel empowered to just like achieve whatever they wanna achieve. And mm -hmm. like, in a certain sense, I like get that, like yeah, yeah. that energy of that, like wanting, wanting me to feel empowered to sort of like do whatever I wanna do. At the sure. same time though, I it's think- 
realistic though. It's not realistic at all. And so now I'm in my early thirties, like realizing and better late than yet, never, you know, but I'm so many things are, are breaking down in my lifestyle and in my life. And I'm glad that I'm in a, a place emotionally to like, be like, change is, it's scary, but like, I, I have to believe that this is aligning me towards like a, a life that's going to be happier and of more ease to myself. Um, but like, it, I'm just now confronting like, wow, I've been, I'm exhausted all the time because I've been masking my accessibility needs to everyone, including myself for so long. And then I've been priding myself on doing that, like subconsciously priding myself on doing that because it's like, oh, well, I have a career and I like live independently and all these markers of success in capitalism while I'm killing myself to, to right. achieve that thing. So anyway, sorry, I don't wanna, I don't no. know, you know, no. I just, I, no, I'm, that's all that's this is what we're here to talk about <laughs> but yeah care work has been a really helpful you know uh medicine I think for me right now because I feel a, a lot of solidarity with the words that are 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 being the things that are being talked about in that text in terms of trying to find ourselves as like mm -hmm. disability people folks with disability who are just like trying to you know be kind to each other and advocate for our needs yeah and, and like figuring out how we can meet each other's needs outside of the state mm -hmm. um because yeah. the state has no interest in the well-being of disabled folks and um that's you know that's really i think what our recourse is is to try to figure oh. out do it a different way <laughs> hopefully this isn't too dark but something i just thought up the other day that like i just want us to remember anytime we start to like like be too hard on ourselves about like our own internalized ableism and of course i would get a call um our own <laughs> internalized ableism uh, probably a spam call um <laughs> uh is that like you know uh, people with albinism have obviously always been social pariah uh, today yeah. included as well um and so yeah. like we have literally been physically erased and like always a part of like genocides <laughs> you know and so like aside from like our own like like lived experience right now we have ancestral traumas of, mm -hmm. of, you know, having to fear like physical erasure. And so mm -hmm. I just like had that like realization the other day and was like, yeah, the Holocaust, like any sort of genocides that you can think about, like you can, yeah. you can bet your bottom dollar that, I don't know why I said that. You can bet your butt that. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. I'm like in a weird hokey, Anyways, like <laughs> but you can bet that like folks with albinism and folks with disability of all sorts, you know, get just like, just get intertwined in whatever sort of social campaign there is to uh, Oh yeah, no, they're going to be one of the first to go. Like <laughs> they're not in, no one's, no one's, yeah, that's, I mean, I'm sure there's some dimensional situation where that wouldn't be the case, but yeah, that's, um, I am reclaiming the association of albinos being witches, though, because oh yeah, no, that's that's my <laughs> like that thing where people think we're magic. Like, well, that uh, that may be, but that is not any of your business. They're not necessarily gonna show it to you. <laughs> you should probably get on my good side. Yeah. So yeah, just, yeah, uh, yeah. It, that that's that's quite real. Um, Oh, there was something that you said that I had latched onto, but now I, now I've lost it. About uh, care work. Uh, yeah, it might have been about care work. I think. Oh well, it was you know in uh, when you were talking about the thing when you're when you're a child and, and your folks are like you can do what everybody else can do and uh, and that kind of thing and and I, I I remember hitting the point where I was like, no no I can't. I cannot, no, I can't. 
and 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 not feeling because like and I mean I knew that for a long time but realizing it in a way where I wasn't upset with myself for it where I was just like let's all can we all just like get on the same page here I cannot actually do these things and it's Mm -hmm. fine and I don't even want to you you Mm -hmm. know or like whatever you know maybe sometimes I did but like uh and I think that that's the nice thing about engaging with disability studies and like disability justice narratives is getting validation with that where you're like actually my body is specific I have these specific access needs and I'm not gonna and I don't actually like I I don't want to assimilate into you know like my I'm not I don't need to be cured I don't need you to like I just need the world to be a place that I can live in (laughs) yeah accessibly yeah and and that I and that I can live and that other and I want that to be and I want that to be the case for everyone <laughs> like yeah. I want I want to yeah. be able to be in community I don't because it's like ableism also keeps disabled folks from being able to interface with each other it actively yeah. from being able to isolated yeah to be in community with each other which is of course what I I believe we you know need um, to survive, especially as we keep trucking along in late stage capitalism. Um, oh, speaking so, of which, oh, sorry, you continue. That no, is- no, I, well, I was just gonna, I was just gonna say, so reading care work and having, just having other voices that are echoing that sentiment and not feeling like I'm just talking to a wall and then, mm-hmm. you know, saying nonsense um, is, is super uh, comforting and teaches me things, you know, teaches me about my own things that I, cause there's, you know, there's, I have so, so much to learn. (laughs) Yeah. That I'm glad you, you said that also, because like, I am a weird, like I can be really weirdly old fashioned about like an aversion to technology, a fear and an aversion to technology. I think a part of that is wrapped up in my, is wrapped up in, uh, accessibility challenges, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I jokingly like shrug it off to just like, you know, being a grump about technologies, but I think a lot of it comes fr- through a lot of lived trauma about, uh, of people getting easily frustrated about like, hu- like, or like me being too ashamed to admit that like, I can't see a thing that you're trying to show me on this technological mm-hmm. tool or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is what I really think it comes down to, but like a beautiful thing that I, you just reminded me of that I try and remember, um, a silver lining of the digital age is there's this, I think really nice psychic thing that can happen where like when I'm listening to a podcast or engaging something digitally, it's almost as if if you can get into the right space and you're vibing with something. It is like you are there with that person, you know, or like you are in community with that data, with that Mm -hmm. conversation. And so like, you know, especially as disabled folks, I think it's important for us to remember that because like our world can become so isolated and myopic if we don't expand our imaginations together and like really see beyond just like the physical plane of where we're at and be in community with, with whatever voices we can be in whatever way that means, you know? Yeah. And if, um, if I can, that's, I feel like that's a, a kind of a good way to transition a little into talking about the challenges of relationships, mm-hmm. uh, because I, I was trying to think, I was trying to think, it's like, what's the biggest challenge of trying to have interdependence, you know, in this context of being, and I was like, of course, I can't come up with one, the best thing I could come up with to try to sum it up is the inherent power dynamics and power structures that you go into these relationships with that neither of you created individually <laughs> or right. and not, and not, I'm not necessarily just two people. It can be a relationship group among people. people or groups or whatever, but none of you, whoever is in the, you're in relationship with, no, none of you created these things individually, but they are there. And the just the the challenge of trying to figure out how to negotiate that in yeah. a way where everyone 
is being everyone's humanity is being accounted for and everyone's mm -hmm. levels of marginalization are being accounted for in ways that aren't patronizing i mean i'm i'm talking in very general terms but th that's no, I'm just following you i'm following you it's a challenge yeah those those are all such challenges to having inter interdependence because obviously like unfair oppressive power dynamics are like the opposite of interdependence <laughs> or not the opposite but certainly yeah. not conducive to yeah yeah to to that and i and so then you know then you just have the then you can of course get more specific about the disabilities that come along with albinism specifically and how that's going to show up but i i'm not sure how specific we're trying to get with it but yeah well i just wanted maybe think of I just wanted to respond and say that like too, I think it's really important for us to always talk about and remember because capitalism and patriarchy want to erase this, this uh, concept that like justice and equity is something that has to be continuously negotiated. Yeah. And like that's labor, but like that's the work. If you wanna do work to like make you know, an egalitarian situation, like safe and fair and consensual relationships of whatever kind, we have to just all get comfortable with the idea that it is, there's not, we can't just create a grid in our mind as much as my social scientist ass has definitely tried <laughs> uh, of like what is fair and where, what our position is in terms of some kind of hierarchy of marginalization. There's no way to do that because there, things are changing constantly, including ourselves. And so it's just, we have to get comfortable with the idea that like justice has to be negotiated continuously. And sometimes we are the person in power and sometimes we are not the person in power, but like, yeah. you know, like just like getting comfortable with the idea that like, if we're gonna try and, and create fair, safe um, and accessible relationships and worlds, we have to get comfortable with making mistakes and the idea that we're gonna hurt each other and the yeah. best that we can do is like lean into the idea that that will always happen and the best we can do is try to like make that create as much harm reduction as possible through like radical honesty love and yep. a lot of conversations yeah yeah that's that's all so that and it's and it but that is so it's so challenging it's just the and the obstacles the obstacles that present themselves are so um you know everything is because of course you know relationship relationship interrelational things are so emotionally charged but then also so deeply connected often to your very basic day-to-day -day needs yeah and and I find, I mean, I was going to say, this is going to be the moment that my little theorist self tries to show up possibly badly, but I was thinking it's like a very Foucauldian, Foucault, like Foucault, Foucauldian thing to think that's like, people will show up into a relationship as if there's a way for that. They're like, oh, our relationship, we're going to be able to exist outside of these power structures somehow for some reason, you know, and it's like, like, Mm, no, even just the process of even saying that, of even trying to be exist outside of them, reinforces that they are power structures in the first place. Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> Which yeah, is it's a paradox. It's a paradox. Yeah, it's, that's getting a little like whatever obnoxious. No, it, no, no. I'm here for it. We can meander. We have a multitude within us, you know. Like we both have been to grad school and also are poor and disabled, you know. Like yeah, hold both of those things. It's and true. that is a very real experience I've had, where I where someone's like interacting with me in this way, where I'm like, do you think somehow magically we are not like these these structures that we're both enmeshed in don't apply to our interaction dynamic right now? Yeah, I'm like, I, I, I'm like, do you think ableism just doesn't exist between the two of us for such for some well, reason? You know, I, I think a lot of people, family included, so like, I'll just say, I, I definitely want to talk about familial relationships and romantic relationships. Yeah, sorry if I'm jumping all over. No, the no, place. no, no, there's no, 
like we don't need to have any structure i want this to be free and fluid the ball of yarn and comfortable and both of us are like adhd so yes yeah, so what are we gonna do totally. like, <laughs> um but i i was just gonna say like i think that like family members is who i get most frustrated about it but like people in my like in interconnected matrix of care yeah some of them feel like they get to check the box of like understanding like being um uh an ally to a disabled folk by a uh, person by being in relationship with me and i'm just like i mean <laughs> sort of but like whether you're showing up as a like person that's like making my life easier as it relates to my disability or, or not is not something that you just get to check the box of because you're in relationship with me especially if you're a family yeah. member and you feel obligated to that it's in like that you may actually be causing me harm you may get a negative opposite of a check yeah and that's a thing that's really frustrating for me i mean i know that it's like a, a thing that has been happening i think as i've worked on myself more and feel more in empowered to like speak up about my accessibility needs like what has happened especially i'll use family as as an example is that like i've been so independent for so long um certain family members especially like my you know like immediate family members have gotten really comfortable with not accommodating my accessibility needs because i haven't spoken up about them mm -hmm. and now that i'm doing it more they're like wait like i don't have to do that or they'll get like obstinate about it or indignant and so the real weird frustrating thing that has to happen is like i have to create boundaries where i'm like I will not come to this thing if you're not going to help me negotiate like how I will have transportation like yep. it isn't just on me because for the most of my adult life, you haven't had to think about it if you want me to trek to a thing just using like going to an event a family event as a specific example if you yeah. invite me to a thing we are going to need i'm going to assert now <laughs> that yeah. we have to negotiate together as a family unit how i'm going to get access to that place because i don't drive right you know and like it's like that's just a simple example but it's one that's like super frustrating that like it's like how am i still having to remind you of this but then i have to like take accountability for the fact that like i said for so long i was just like taking it on the chin and like having to like painstakingly figure it out and be super stressed and then resentful and then complain about it and now i'm like no i'm not going to be angry i'm not going to be resentful i'm just gonna like describe that we need to negotiate this thing and if worse comes to worse i just i won't come to that thing yeah yeah and then and because yeah it's it's and you and and then if i can't come to the thing because i can't get there don't act all like you don't want to be with the family you know like that whole um yeah it's, it's certainly yeah that lack of i've definitely had people you know it's like no i i don't necessarily like if you're gonna have a family thing at the beach um i might not be super into it right or any I mean, outdoor thing like for yeah, an extended yeah. period of time people are like why you know and it's, it's i understand like it's of course it's it's sweet if your family wants to wants to see but it's just it's like i you know i don't i don't know why i should have to like put aside my access needs just because it will make you feel better about your person, you know yeah it's the inconvenient like no 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 you don't you sound empowered i'm gonna like i'm gonna push back on you saying you no thank you thank you like i think both of us you know a thing that we're processing together is like we're so used to a reflex of feeling like we're gonna have some punishment for like our existence or for like naming our like accessibility needs or our needs in general and like i think we do a really good job trying to championing trying to champion in each other that it's like no this is just you showing up for yourself and it feels uncomfortable because we're still trying to figure out how to love ourselves um right. but like you know i i think it's just like it's a we have been traumatized into believing that we are an inconvenience you know like our in our existence is an inconvenience and like 
people around us have at many occasions consciously or subconsciously signaled that to us and so now we have to do the work to be like okay like whether this is an inconvenience or not i'm going to assert my accessibility needs and sometimes we are successful and sometimes we fail and we cry to each yeah. other about it but like that's like what we have to do to like build empower you know the empowerment of like having a more accessible like community around us yeah it's really hard. I, I wanted to just like transition into talking about romantic relationships in, and sure. this concept too. Cause like, sure, sure. I'll just start off with saying that like a really tricky thing for me uh, that a lot of healing has happened more recently, but like just like a big challenge for me is negotiating how to communicate to a romantic partner, like, what my accessibility needs are, but also mm-hmm. not getting into, like still maintaining my independence because yeah. I've been in a lot of romantic situations where, and I don't even necessarily think that it was intentional, but a thing that happens insidiously with like power hierarchies is that like, if I become, you know, interdependent with somebody the, and they're, having to accommodate an accessibility need, like, you know, I'm living with a partner and so they're taking me to places in their car. Like mm-hmm. this weird unspoken power dynamic happens. And if the person yep. and I aren't regularly talking about this, like yep. what can happen is like, they, you know, they exploit that power uh, dynamic and then make like, try to guilt, have tried to guilt me into like doing things for them or performing labor for them as a transaction that we never mutually agreed upon because they are a part of my interdependent like like matrix and network of like care so yeah. anyways i don't know if that made sense but that was something i no no it, it 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 does make sense um yeah i think i think like and the the, the challenge of trying to present trying to present my access needs to somebody and, and be like, I'm not necessarily saying that you have to fill all these needs, but these are the needs that I have mm-hmm. and they're, they, it might affect you, you know, like, I'm not saying you have to fill them, but if they're not getting met, it may have, you know, there's going to be an effect on how we're able to be in relationship with each other. And, and, yep. and that balance is, is so tricky because like, you know, it's reasonable to, to expect, and I guess I'm talking here about the way, you know, because I, I think we both identify with experiencing disability, both, you know, with our vision, but also with like mental illness and such, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. especially where those things uh, intersect, um, yeah. yep. someone showing up for care, you know, it's, it's the, the balance of being like, uh, yeah, these are the things I need. I don't necessarily expect you to do all of them. But here they are, yeah. you know, um, I, I'm sorry. I think I, I feel like I just said the same thing twice in a row, but you know, that's. No, I think that's helpful. And yeah, like, I think what's also challenging is like being, I, I've been in several relationships uh, where I was in a romantic relationship with another person with like disability and like mental health, mm-hmm. like challenges. And so what would happen also is like, I would be nego- like I would always negotiate in my own mind that I was the person with more power, even though like mm-hmm. a lot of times like you know I'm the like you know the one that has the social experience of of being feminized and like I am black you know and I've been in relationship with white people and like yeah. I just like wouldn't factor these other power dynamics in as like appropriately as like what was actually happening in the relationship because I I just like have this really strong and earnest need to like be accountable for like the way I'm asserting my power that I would forget like how power was being asserted on me and Mm -hmm. I I think the thing too that you and I have been talking about very recently that's really challenging I think is like when somebody starts out providing a an accept or like meeting an accessibility need because they're in a like a, an intimate relationship with us and then 
how, like how we move through a transition and that changing in yeah. a way that's like you know uh like sensitive to and empowering to both parties is something that like is is really challenging and I feel like I have felt exploitation in that dynamic in that like like what has happened to me over and over again is like a person will start like I'll be like I don't want you to do this thing for me unless you're doing it willingly and the person will be right. like no 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 of course I'm doing it willingly like I love you like I don't I know that you need that you have this accessibility need I will do that and then something will a, a dynamic will change in the relationship and they'll be like I can't do this for you anymore which that's fine to do but like mm -hmm. what is not fine to do is to blame the reason why they can't perform that accessibility need for me anymore on like something that is an aspect of my identity and that's a thing that has happened before over and over again that i think is really traumatizing and that like we all like disabled folks and marginalized folks need to work on is that like we need to separate like when we don't have the spoons or the capacity to show up for someone in a certain way anymore like that's always okay but what isn't okay is to be like because you are this i can no right. longer do that you instead know? of just being like the we the the dynamic is different i don't do that anymore you know it's like that i, I think people it's like they want to do it if he, or not okay i'm trying to stop doing that thing where i speak so generally but i find i think they're is a hesitancy to just say what's happening in a more simple in a simple way mm -hmm. because i don't know i'm not expressing myself very well but like people cutting through the bullshit like yeah. i don't feel the same way anymore and like this is shitty and i'm sorry but i don't have the capacity to do yeah this like that's anymore. not that's <laughs> not the energy that i have to give to you anymore and instead of instead of being like because you are this kind of way i cannot i'm not doing this for you anymore mm -hmm. because it's that i just and it's not even i just don't think that it's it's true i just i think that it's it's something that and, and i think that does happen to yeah and especially if you are someone who experiences disability it's just like you don't we have people telling us the whole world is telling us stuff that's like not wrong but you know like there's a there's a problem there's harmful. a problem with yeah. all the time. there's always the world has a problem with us constantly mm -hmm. so when that gets like replicated in a microcosm of a relationship with somebody it's just extra you rejection know. vibes you know it's yeah. like yes i realize that i'm inconvenient i'm inconvenient to love i'm inconvenient to accommodate in the physical world i am inconvenient to be in familial relationships i get it i'm an inconvenience <laughs> and like that narrative is not acceptable it's not acceptable i'm sure that i've also been on the other side of it before you know oh like, sure yeah yeah i think a thing that we all do and like and like I think bad therapy can actually reinforce this is the idea that like every time we have to set a boundary in a relationship that we like need to identify this reason that like a person is being oppressive to us or something and like that's the reason why we need to assert that boundary and like sometimes like maybe that is the case but for me personally I think it's more empowering for me to be like if I have to assert this boundary it's because I no longer have the capacity to like be in relationship in the same way because I have felt what it feels like for somebody to say like you're too much or like this is too much and like yeah. I and like because you are this way I no lo longer want to do that instead of like more I think realistically being like I don't have the capacity to like be in relationship with you in this way anymore it's not that you are it's effective or whatever it's just like things change and my capacity changed Right. Well, and like, cause I feel like too much, it's like that thing where people use words that they don't actually, that doesn't actually describe what they're saying. And I feel like, like too much is this blanket statement for things that are actually a lot more specific mm -hmm. that could be talked about in a lot more nuanced way, but it just gets filed under this umbrella of too much. And then every, I don't know, like everybody feels bad, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and nothing gets, and there's no, and there's it doesn't 
lend itself to a conversation about, because there are always systemic things underneath these, mm-hmm. what seem like just very emotional interpersonal things. There is always systemic and systematic factors shit that, yeah. factoring in there. And I mean, I think too much. I think too much all the time, you know, and sometimes I know (laughs) you have been very kind with sometimes being like, you know, buddy, it's not that deep. Okay. (laughs) Like, which I appreciate because like, sometimes it is like, it's a both and, you know, like sometimes I do need to be reminded that yes, this thing is intricate and complex and messy. Also, it's just not that deep though. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to engage with all of that messiness all the time, but I maintain that it is just always there. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think the reason why we do that in relationships where we try to say like, oh, because of, of this characteristic about you and this thing that you're doing to me, that's why I can no longer do this. Like we do that because it's it's a heuristic. It's a shorthand for us to feel like emotionally justified. Like we don't wanna feel like the bad guy. So we wanna be like, well, because of you doing this thing, this is why I can't do that. Whereas I feel like even in a situation where, and this might be kind of subversive to say, but I'm going to say it anyway, because it's my perspective, like even in situations where people have caused me harm, like I'd rather be like, I, it's not that like you are like, the issue is that like, I no longer have the tolerance to engage in this dynamic that I have both shared and creating with you it's not that like you are this you are that right right. i want to allow people the capacity to change and grow and do better as as because i want that for myself and so i'd rather wheel and deal in the idea of like what i do or don't have the spoons or capacities to do in any given moment rather than a person being a certain way so i can't do this thing because they are they're doing this to me you know Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it about being about, you know, the, the behavior that the person is doing, not so much about them intrinsically as a, as a person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So do you want to, I know we're like, we're, I don't know, maybe we're bordering on the edge of like time we allotted, but like maybe in the next five minutes, if you'd be down, I'd love to like talk about like, I don't know, like what we could vision and dream uh, um, in terms of a world and relationships, like what they would feel like and what kind of attributes they would have to create a scenario of like transformative justice and disability justice. And like, I don't know, just like what that would look like. Ooh, yeah, we can certainly try. It's, it's so sometimes I feel like I, there's sometimes I'm so much better at this than other times, but you know, we can, we can certainly give it a go. Do you want to? <laughs> yeah, I you... can start. Well, yeah. So I will say, um, I've definitely been observing and thinking about like, what does it mean to have both interdependence and autonomy? Like that's mm-hmm. the thing that I'm always trying to work out in all of my relationships is like negotiating those things and like making sure that like my tendency towards wanting to caretake doesn't become like codependent or oppressive to somebody's uh, autonomy. Um, sure. I'll say, for example, I'm always like thinking about this um, in the context of my grandma is, is a thing I can think about like a lot because, you know, like in her process of aging, you know, she has physical disabilities and chronic pain, uh, which is frustrating for her to negotiate. Uh, She's 87. And so like, you know, she needs a lot of existence in her accessibility needs. But that, you know, I think I observe the world and our family getting used to treating her as if she doesn't have a certain level of autonomy. And like mm-hmm. me really trying to like support her and advocating for herself. And also as like an 87 year old black woman, she's been used to a lifetime that I can't even understand the sort of like the the depth of reinforcement of like this idea that she doesn't have autonomy, like in terms of like the social structure. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I just, I want to live in a world where we start at like, from childhood teaching autonomy. Cause like 
I even see it in parents and kids. Like, you know, there's a there's a, a difference between like allowing having no boundaries with your kid and having a healthy balance of like structure and like creating a sense of independence and autonomy for things that are appropriate for a kid to have autonomy over, you know, like what they want to wear, for example, <laughs> within yeah. reason. <laughs> I guess. yeah 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 that's I love that um gosh I mean I think I think certainly when I try to imagine a world that I would that I would want to live in um sort of there would definitely be some aspect of yes yeah, certainly that that where that balance between autonomy and interdependence is a something that everyone is practicing on all levels of everything <laughs> um and where where every where all bodies are valued and whatever those bodies needs are everyone works to figure out how to make it so that everyone can live you know to with as much ease. ease and gentleness and contentment as possible <laughs> um and um certainly a certainly a, a world where just your existence as a being is enough for you to deserve and not i don't even use the word deserve but just your your existence as a being is means that your needs are important to the community that you are in um and i'm this i'm speaking really general woo because it's like I, no, this, I, i'm following you thanks i i just get so like overwhelmed by what i think would be beautiful but certainly and and it gets very um I find myself getting just wanting to get really technical be like certainly it would not be a capitalist society by no means uh -uh. and 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 one that is you know oh god have been through some kind of recovery from colonization i i don't i don't know what that looks like exactly but um you know something where we're not all being where everyone's not being steeped in everything that we're all steeped in but, but this the this is the most general general description of utopia anyone's ever made. <laughs> no, I think you you got some really good details in there. And like, I really liked what you said about like, you know, trying to accommodate the most amount of ease and comfort. I'll also add pleasure and joy of like whatever kind of bodies folks have. And like, you know, I want to believe and like maybe it's idealistic, but I don't care. I want to believe that like <laughs> it is possible that like you know, we could have a world where people were joyfully caretaking each other um, because there are so many kinds of labor that we can all perform for each other, um, you know, from basic necessities of like physical caretaking to, yeah. you know, making food, making medicine, uh, emotional healing and support. Um, and so many, like so much of the care work, for example, that like disabled folks perform for each other that is like, underwritten by capitalism like i want to believe that there is this world where we can have an alignment of folks providing care to each other that feels joyful to do and receive and there's not like shame about it we just have this ethic of like fluidly changing hands of caretaking each other and all these dynamic ways you know yeah and it's and that and that so easily can that you you can see how much more easily that happens when everyone involved is getting their needs met you know if no one is having to come to a place of care with no spoons themselves you know you know just that that whole yeah, yeah. circular yep you know yep. where the care is feeding on its on itself in a good way like mm -hmm. yep. yeah where it's like a positive feedback loop of like yeah just like Mm hmm. Yeah, I yeah. want to believe that's possible. And I like, I know that it's possible because we feel it every time we care for and are cared for in a way that's empowering and like yeah. feels good to both pa parties. Like yeah. the fact that that's 
possible at a micro scale to me means like I believe in fractals, you know, yep. and waveforms. <laughs> Word on that sort of emergent strategy and like Octavia Butler Woo! kind of Afrofuturist vibe. Like I want to believe that those things are possible. And the way that we keep scaling that up is that like every instance of being cared for and in caretaking others, we we're striving towards that sweet spot, you know? Yes. Yes, that's, and yeah, I, and I think, I mean, I will get as nihilistic as anyone else, but I- Oh, you I, know, I love the nihilism. Oh, I, I know, we can go together. It's a good time. It's a good time. Optimistic but, nihilism, that's what yeah, I- Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, and just, or, and it's, the, it's another both and, right? It's literally mm -hmm. the dialectic. It's like, okay, sometimes I'm gonna surf the void and then other times I'm gonna try to imagine a joyful bright wondrous future where i'm happy and other people are happy mm -hmm. uh because why not i have you know we have the we were we have imagination is a beautiful privilege to have uh so yeah, absolutely and i think we can we can hold both of those things uh in our hands and in our hearts without it being mutually exclusive yeah Word. well were there any last things that you wanted to get out um in this conversation no i would suggest since you brought up octavia i would say that if uh anyone is not listening to octavia's parables yeah. uh, uh just do yourself a favor and mosey on over there and listen to that podcast which where they're recapping both parable of the town and parable of the sower and it i i will i i am enjoying it greatly and i think that I think it's i think it's great and i think people should listen to it <laughs> absolutely and also uh read listen to watch like any sort of octavia butler narratives that you yeah, can i would say because um for me especially the xenogenesis uh, trilogy right now in these like weird pandemic end times that we're in have actually been like strangely soothing because there's so many parallels to the state that we're in right now um but like it also there's so much beautiful resilience and emergence that happens in those narratives that it makes you feel like there can still be beauty and decline if you believe and work towards it you know mm. yes and so, i want to i want to correct myself i said they're recapping the books they're not recapping them they are discussing them in depth with analysis and questions is what i'm saying uh, excellent well and i'll try and put those i'll put links in the show notes when we do oh wonderful excellent well this is All our right. first podcast yay for us Woo! uh follow us on the inter ether webs <laughs> um and uh we'll be in the places the podcasts are yes um, and i will stop. <laughs>